Let's rock. Who's keeping count at this point? This is like week 5,635 in my house. Um, that's the number that's important, but we are speaking educationally here again. Um, anybody want to catch us up on what's been going on in their lives or some hobbies or something you're trying to do? Well, my world has been, yeah, my world has been zoom, zoom, zoom. <laughs> uh, f- f- funny story. <laughs> well, I was in a in a class the other day, you know. No, knowing the kid, I'm pretty sure she was doing it on purpose. Like, kept knocking um, pencil off of her desk so that way, kind of like forcing the parent to pick it up. And um, I think the parent thought that the child had the the meeting on mute, <laughs> and you can hear the parent. Said this is like the eighth time where I had to pick this effing pencil up. <laughs> so that was that. That uh. was funny. That was funny. <laughs> and just and no, no no knowing the kid, I'm pretty sure she was doing it on purpose. <laughs> like, yeah, that's 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 real and authentic. You know what I mean? Exactly. That's how you can appreciate that. I can I and I can really relate to that parent. Oh, like, yeah. I feel that. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. I just don't want to get caught on Zoom doing it because you know, <laughs> like I, I don't even think the kids caught it, and I know the teacher caught it because like it was like a quick second pause, but she kept it moving. But like yeah. looking at the face of the kids, they didn't miss a beat. That's funny, Dina. You want to go? I got a quick what I've been up to. Yeah, so I, um, I am going to. Uh, I'm going to start working with Camp Rehoboth to get a GSA club set up at um, the school which I'm really excited about. Um, and I feel like this is going to provide a really good opportunity for um, our LGBTQ plus students to be able to um, find a group of students that they can kind of collect with where, you know, they feel is a safe place for them. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And um, we'll have that, you know, hopefully up and ready to go at the start of next school year. That's cool. And for those that may not know, Rehoboth is a beach in Delaware, and it sort of is a, a pretty active LGBTQ community. Was that a good, quick representation of Rehoboth for you guys? Yeah, yeah. No. It's Rehoboth-Lewis area. Yeah, they've they've got a pretty active um, LGBTQ plus community. Um, they have the Rehoboth Bears um, that do a lot of um, charity work. Um, and a friend of mine is involved with that group. And um, it's just a, it's a great um, it's a great community of people. And they've always been um, very um, supportive and um, working with a lot of charitable organizations in and around Sussex County. So, yeah. so I'm also the about arts, their culinary. I mean, they they are they bring a value to Rehoboth, I think, that is unmatched, at least that I've seen when it comes to certain lots of different things. So I think it's awesome. All right. I um have been working on taking CDs. So I was a DJ in college for a little while um, and have collected about 2,000 CDs. So I'm in the process of taking all those and putting them into my computer. So I got through about 
50 or 60 over the weekend, so you know how long this is going to take. <laughs> I'll be dying. Wow. 44, 45 years old, but I don't know. It's been interesting kind of going through the different CDs and wondering why I bought some of them. And I'm like, really? Did I really <laughs> buy them? I'm like, okay. What did I look at today? Oh, Tony Touch. He's a DJ. So Tony Touch had a CD that came out. And this first CD was good. The second CD, I'm like, what? This is the worst CD I've ever listened to. Anyway. I had, uh, it's Doug, I've, I've been on that route before. I didn't have 2,000 of them. But I did that with about 300 CDs. Yeah. And I know how long it takes. So... Good luck to you. Wow. But you must have looked at some of those CDs and said to yourself, what was I thinking? <laughs> yeah. I yeah, I remember that. <laughs> I remember feeling that way. That's funny. All right. Wow. Um, a couple of things that we want to talk about. I think probably the big topic tonight would be this roller coaster, what, what we're calling, I guess, of what teachers are going through. And then how that's being described by people possibly in the education circle or outside of the education circle, parents, um, students, community, whatever. There's everybody has an opinion about teachers right now, positive or negative or indifferent. Everybody has something to say, because if you're a parent, you're living with a kid who's school aged, who was in a traditional school up until a couple of weeks ago. You know, you're now seeing education firsthand and where your child is. So I know, Dina, this is kind of the topic that you brought. Is there something you want to elaborate on or kind of describe what you're yeah. feeling about that? It's, um, I've had some experiences lately with um, social media where, you know, when we first started having to shift everything to online, mm-hmm. um, you know, for somebody like me who's been, you know, uh, doing a, a, and I wouldn't say I've been doing this, this quick tech integration over the last several years, but for at least the last five years, I have done a lot of things online. So before the state of Delaware got um, Schoology for all the schools across the state, I was using Edmodo as my as my learning management system or my LMS, and um, and I loved it, and um, it definitely served a lot of purposes for me. And so um, I started doing blended learning training several years ago. And the more that I become aware of how educational technology would function in my classroom, the the more the better I become at integrating technology and I'm still not perfect with it, but I've been the type of person where I've done a slow roll and I like to get very familiar with certain tools that I so I can troubleshoot when things happen. Um, and if I need to communicate with our with our tech people, I can at least use the language that makes sense to everybody. So and that takes a little bit of time. It does. It takes it takes yeah. a significant period of time, especially to become comfortable with the platforms. And then inevitably, when you come be comfortable with something, something changes. And so then you have to get used to the changes. And so this is not an easy process for as, even for somebody like me who's been doing this for five years. Um, so let's shift over to that teacher who has really fought the use of technology tooth and nail for a long time. And they are just now, so they've, they've kind of been, you know, um, forced by fire to learn how to do certain things and um, aren't familiar with the tools in the way that I am. And like I said, I'm still not an expert. So this is still looking at somebody who is like basically, you know, the, the somewhat sighted leading the blind. Yeah. I mean, so, it's like you had the conversation with that teacher and you say like URL and they look back at you and they say, well, URM. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, 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 your URL is that line up the top that has the, the 
I should have said you're a square. I don't know. I just love that yeah. joke. In my head. Anyway, sorry. I totally get <laughs> I mean, um, And think about that person, their mindset, where they're going right now. They're, they're scared. Yeah. Too. It's a, well, they're, they're scared. And what I'm also imagining too. So we've had, we've had a couple of teachers who were um, very unfamiliar with the technology. And when something happened, when they were in a zoom call with students and it tripped them up, like they didn't know how to fix it. Right. You know, like they didn't, they didn't know the quick thing to do to get out of the situation. So Class over. <laughs> yeah. So this is, so I'm imagining these things happening, you know, and, and um, the fact that I think that most teachers are trying their hardest to, to do the right thing by, by their students. And um, but there's also pockets of places across the U S where teachers have been told not to instruct. Um and yeah, can we talk about that for a second? I know you brought that up pre-show, yeah. and I know you got more you want to say, but I don't know, Gerard. I agree. I am. I cannot decide what I, I mean. I get the idea that it's not equitable for everyone if not everyone can access it, but I also don't know why you wouldn't get it to those that can because you, you know. I mean, I, I just don't get. I was. The whole cities have shut down. I, yeah, I, 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 I'm with you, and I've I've heard. And I, I won't say what district the lawyer works from, but a I've heard it right from a lawyer's mouth that is a lawyer for a school district that said the worst thing you could do is bring me like when he, if he gets a case, the worst thing you can do is bring me something where you've done nothing. He was like, right. at least do something. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. It's but, not- I don't, but I mean, governments have actually I mean, mayors or, or superintendents of large districts have just said, no, we're not going to do anything because it's not equitable. And I'm like, I don't know that that. It, that almost sounds like a cop out. I mean, I guess each situation is different. It's but. um, it, it's and I, I, you know, and I think we can all agree that some of it is well intentioned. Like some of it is, but like to me, it's like the worst thing you could do to a kid right now, where they are, where they're, you know, stuck at home, is to give them nothing at all. Like you know, know, so and and a lot of me, a lot of where I'm pulling from is the angle of we need to give them something that looked at least like the life that they had before because none of the life they had before is, is like the same. Like that, that what they're dealing with right now is, is not anywhere close to what their lives were like before. Mm-hmm. And, and so don't know because the kids that I'm finding that are actively participating, a lot of them are the ones that really struggled a little bit in school. So yeah. if you make the assumption that those that you think don't have or can't get on or can't do this and then we're going to be equitable for those, like those are my kids that are actually doing a pretty good job right now. Like they're the ones that are stepping it up. And I'm like, if we didn't have this opportunity for them, like just assume the equity lens isn't always about like, oh, those that have and those that have not. I mean, sometimes you, you throw that equity thing out there like I think they're doing in this case just because they don't feel like going through the work of making it happen. But you're really hurting the actual population that could have benefited the most by being the ones that could get online. You know what I mean? Well, and what burns me up about that is I feel like it becomes an excuse. I feel like it becomes an excuse because where were you during the school year? You know, how equitable were your practices while we were in the brick and mortar school? You know, don't there don't use equity, don't don't throw the equity word out there to give yourself a, a cop out for doing something for for the kids and the families. And that's what that's what burns me up about about saying something like that. And, you know, one of the, one of the teachers that I've been interacting with over social media, his kids are taking an AP exam and like, I'm not going to go down the whole college board rabbit hole with that right now and how furious I am over how college boards handling that. But he was told that he wasn't allowed to deliver any instruction 
to his students. And so you have kids who are getting ready to take one of the most high stakes exams they'll ever take in their K-12 mm-hmm. education. And you're not, you're not allowing them to be able to say, um, you know what? Yeah, go ahead. Give them support. Give them coaching. You know, make There's them. There's a kid in Maryland that's getting that support. There's yeah. a kid in Pennsylvania that's getting that support. Yeah, it's um, it, it's exactly. it's upsetting, and you know, so we have so we have those issues going on, and I am trying to be as communicative with students and families as possible. You know, that's been my that's been another huge element is. I, I'm communicating a lot more with parents right now because I have parents that are contacting me and going, you know, I, I'm not sure how to talk, you know, my daughter or my son or, you know, my grandson or my nephew or whatever through this assignment. Can you give me some heads up about what, you know, what I need to tell them? And I've also had parents where they've said, you know, I'm just so frustrated by, by this right now. And I've said to them, you don't need to be frustrated. I said, that's not, I said, you're just there at home trying to support your kid. Let me help. Let me help. You know, when I've offered to zoom or whatever. So, and I understand that there are teachers out there who are doing literally not a thing. Okay. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm going to say that, you know, we are, we should be as receptive and as open to criticism and critique as anybody else's. We are not perfect human beings. And the more open you are to somebody saying to you, Hey, have you thought of the more, you are able to change your practice and make yourself better at what you do. Yeah. Um, so we are not beyond beyond criticism. What I have so, an issue with is I feel yeah. like there is there has been the some people saying you're not doing enough and some people saying you're doing too much. And I'm mm-hmm. I'm sitting here going, okay, so where do I fall with that? Because I'm trying to make sure I'm not overwhelming kids. Um, you know, I gave the, I gave the kids something that needed some instruction, but I'm not teaching any new skills at this point. It's, it's basically to reinforce everything we've worked on all year. Um, and just to kind of roll with that. But it's like, I, I, you know, open up Facebook and I see a, a person that I'm connected with on Facebook, basically blasting her son's teacher about how, how can you expect the kids to do all this work? Yada, yada, yada. And my first thought is, have you had an actual conversation with your son's teacher? Mm-hmm. And talked about that he's having difficulty doing this because we don't know on any given day, is this going to be too much to assign? Is this, right. you know, it's like when I, when I send home, you know, when I say here, work on these things, is it going to be too much for the kids to complete? And the thing is for some kids, it could go week to week. Like you can have a kid that goes, yeah, I, I don't have enough to do. And then the following week they go, this is too much. Mm-hmm. So we don't know where that balance lies. And so, my my question then became when I saw this consistently, it's it's like, do you have any intention in having a conversation with your son's teacher? Do you have any intention in trying to work with your son's teacher, work with the son your son's school to make the situation better? Because maybe this teacher is not aware that of what they're doing, because I'm not aware of everything I do. You know, it's our well, I mean, probably goes back to the kind of person that puts that sort of post on Facebook isn't the kind of person that's going to do that. Like that's, that's a personality trait. And, you know? and I, and I want to reiterate, please reach out to your son's teacher first, your yes. child's teacher first. Like yes. don't just, I'm an administrator. Yes. Just don't come straight to admin because we, we or like, we, yeah, like work, work, the work, the chain of command, the re- relationships will be better. And the, it'll teach your child something too, about not just jumping levels all the time. Right. Yeah. 
I thought you were going to go, so you said straight to admin, which I agree with 100%, but also I thought you were going to say straight to Facebook. Because the other thing you don't want to do is don't put, like, number one, I mean, it makes you look bad going to somewhere like Facebook and blasting mm-hmm. someone that you, obviously, your child has an intimate relationship with. I mean, that says a lot about your character. Um, so, I mean, I would just not go to Facebook to blast anybody, personally. I don't use Facebook that often. As someone who's been blasted on Facebook for my principalship a couple of times, I will say it does hurt my feelings. It's hurtful. It's so hurtful when people do that. Um, but I, I and I try to remind myself when somebody decides to go that route with things. I try to remind myself that their behavior says more about who they are than who I am. Um, you know, but it doesn't stop me from feeling, it doesn't stop me from feeling defensive or reacting in a way that is human because I'm human, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's like, there, there is a human being on the end of your criticism that deserved to be having a situation handled respectfully and not in the manner in which you're handling it. Yeah. In the book, Courageous Conversations, they talk about bringing it back to center. So if you're emotional, you know, before you respond, bring it back to center. I mean, there's a lot more in the whole books about it, but it's an interesting time to have courageous conversations, um, you know, and do them calmly. But anyway, anything you want to add to that, Gerard, about roller coaster of what teachers are doing, not doing during this time, or how you feel about feedback during this pandemic when it comes to the educational system? Yeah, I just, I just feel as though I, just, I really think, and just based off of my experiences, whether teachers have been the most um, confident with technology in the past, on a holistic level, for the most part, I think teachers are doing the best that they can, given their own experiences and comfortability level with um, the platforms and the technology at their disposal right now. Um, so I'm just in that mindset of giving a um, a lot of grace right now, and as a as a you know a member of a school leadership team, as being an administrator. I put more onus on myself and looking at this experience of, okay, if we had to go back down this route now, I mean, in a year from now, what things would I been working on and what am I learning from this experience where I can help put some concrete things in place and a blueprint for, because yeah. if this happens again, let's, if this happens again in the next school year, we're going to have for some first year teachers that basically they were graduating college when all this stuff was going on. So it's like, then they're going to need a blueprint or something. So it's like I'm using this as a as a learning process for the future because you just never know. No, that's a perfect way of thinking about it. I hadn't thought about that far in the future yet. I was trying to think about what things I could bring back to the classroom. You know, because I'm still in this mindset that we're going to go back in August. Just everyone's going to show up. At least that's what I'm hoping for, right? I like I said, no intent information, but that's we're just in that same mindset. We're we're in that same mindset. I'm hoping well, for a miracle. There's a lot of, um, you know, and I've, I've seen this in multiple sources that I've both read and watched where if we are truly mimicking other types of things that have happened like this in the past, you know, and I guess that the greatest, com- the, the greatest comparison people use is the, um, uh, the 1918 influenza, but we also had a, a major issue back in 50, 1953 um, where the first wave was was bad, but then a second wave came through and it was horrific. And I, I'm wondering if we are going to have something similar to that, which is what 
concerns me about opening things up too rapidly because mm-hmm. we really are opening ourselves up to have a second wave of something and have it be really devastating. I mean, we're at what 80,000 deaths in the U S right now. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, are we, are we basically positioned to double that with, you know, something, you know, horrible coming up later on. Um, so I think if people are, I, it concerns me that we're just going to plow right through and be like, let's open things back up. Um, and you yeah, know, I'm, I'm asking for hail Mary right now. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. I don't know if that's going to happen, but I mean, I, I hear you. I just, I have to plan with thinking that we're going to come back in August. I don't know how else to function. Um, I mean, I can certainly, if, if I'm told we're practicing, I mean, we're planning for distance learning, then I'll continue the stuff that I've been doing, but I don't know. It's really hard trying to figure out what to do at this point as a leader of a building. Cause you don't know the direction that we're going in. And that's, that's hard to lead when you don't have any direction and it's no one's fault. I can't, I mean, I can't say, I can't call someone and say, get some direction. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> the way that it is. All right. Well, that leads us into our next thing, communication during distance learning. Anybody want to throw anything about how that's been going over the past? Um, you know, we've met every week, I think, except for like one or two. Um, so, you know, we're at this point, we're chiseled veterans at how to communicate without ever seeing kids physically or parents. So anybody have anything they want to update on that or any ideas around that? Yeah, I think the where my, my principal and I, we just both of us try to make sure that we are in um, one of us is in, are in every grade level PLC. Um, we do have um, our elementary level administrators meetings uh, like every other day for like an hour with our uh, assistant superintendent. But one of those days, it runs in with uh, what grade? I think it's third or third grade PLC. So my principal just goes to that while I'm in the PLC and just basically um, a ton of emails, uh, text messages when they need us, just like basically just being accessible and trying to we've been trying to make sure that we're we've visited at least every classroom once for more than meeting just to just say hi like it's not like a checking up on teachers but just being visible and being that support system um throughout the whole process and another piece of communication is when we do have parents come to us about things and the teacher has um you know no knowledge so just trying to connect that parent with the teacher because we don't want we don't want to send them off the deep end during this time thinking that, you know, it's anything backdoor going on and um, we're keeping them out of the loop. So that just trying to keep all lines of communication open on all levels. Yeah. That is so, so important. I think as a leader, you brought up a lot of really good points. I think that that trust that you have to have there, number one, that you're not doing something behind someone's back because it just seems like that we're all operating in these different spaces, which we literally are, but we can still communicate, but it's just, you know, having that level of trust that they trust that, you know, if a parent goes above a teacher's head, that the teacher can trust you, that they're going to push it back or work with that teacher to figure out what is the issue here. You you know, just make snap decisions based on whatever the parent may or may not say or whatever. It's just having those open lines of communication are really important. So. Well, and I, I feel like the more, um, you know, the more open communication you're doing with, you know, both students and families, you know, the more open you are with that, um, the less opportunity there is for misunderstanding. Um, you know, it just, it, it opens it up. And um, it's my first 
line has been to do the student check-ins, which I've been doing since, you know, we've, we've been online and they have been remarkable in just the information that I get from them. And I, you know, every week I ask the kids a fun question along with, you know, some other questions about how things are going. And the most poignant thing that happened last week was I had a, my fun question, which was, if you could have any superpower, whether it be something that already exists um, or one that you would make up, what would you want? And I got a lot of really great answers for that. Um, But it was interesting because one of my responses, which kind of broke my heart was one of the students said, if I could have any superpower, it would be to be smart. Mm. And it just broke my heart because this is a student who tries so hard and she's got, she's got a great amount of intelligence. And when we were in her, we were in her IEP meeting, um, her, um, I said to her, her mother, I said, she is the kind of kid that if I needed somebody to watch my son, I would be able to trust her with my child. Right. Like she's got, she's got a warmth about her and a caring and she makes good decisions involving other people. She's Um, lacking some confidence. Yeah. She just, she, um, there are certain things that there are certain concepts of things that don't come to her as, as quickly. Um, whenever she has to do anything procedural, it, it really is difficult for her because I think she gets really bogged down in the, in the procedure. Um, and so I think that's very, very difficult and challenging for her, but she's also a student who has just, she's come a long way with her reading this year and it's been, it's remarkable to see that flourish. And so for her to say something like that, it just broke my heart. And also, I mean, it might feel good. I mean, she felt comfortable enough to share it, you know, so that's, that's a step in the right direction, right? If you you put yourself out there like that and have that courage, I mean, that says a lot too. So yeah, I I do those check-ins because I I was doing those with my PLC staff. I have stopped doing them. I mean, we do check-ins in their classes, but I I need to get back to that more human response. So thank you for that reminder. But you're going to say something. I'm sorry, Dina. Yeah, no, it's just, that's been, that's been hugely insightful. The check-ins have been helpful. Um, and then, you know, just doing that and having um, consistent communication with, with parents. There are some parents that just need, they're like the kids. They need somebody to check in with them a little bit more regularly. And I have found that that's been helpful. And I, you know, and I know people all the times that, you know, you shouldn't give your personal cell phone number or your phone number out to, to people. But I have found that, families are not abusing it you know i make phone calls calls and i you know i i've had a parent text me the other day and she said i hope this is not you know this is not inappropriate for me to do and you know we've just been in touch and i find that the the more that communication that i do with families right now especially um the better off everybody is and and honestly in the long run it saves me much more time um to be able to do that communication than to, you know, to have it all collect because it's, you know, a- along with other things I'm doing, you know, like de-emphasizing grades and, you know, the other things that I'm doing to try and make my classroom more equitable. I feel that the, the parent communication piece has been, has been crucial for that success. That's awesome. George, is there any, like, so Dina does check-ins. I used to do check-ins, although I need to get back to that. Is there anything you guys do for like PLC meetings or like a, like a habit that you guys have formed when it comes to meetings zoom wise or a process or procedures that you follow every time? No, we, we always have um, an agenda, but huh? Yeah, they have an like you said, we have an agenda, and the whoever the team lead is basically facilitates, and we're just basically participants in it. Like we want to, we want to promote them being leaders in that space. Yeah. Sure, that's good. Yeah. All right. Um, 
totally switching gears here, but we <laughs> talked a little bit before the show. Um, away from education a little bit, I guess, but Ahmad Aubrey, I'm, I'm hopefully I'm saying the last name correctly. Um, yeah, yeah, I think you are. yeah, and the and the the murder of him uh, way back a few months ago, but obviously the video uh, probably everyone's seen came out. We started talking about it when, when we were pre-show, just because we were. I was looking at some hashtags while we were just kind of chit-chatting, and um, one of the ones that I was following for a while is you know I run with Ahmad. So <laughs> I don't know what I don't know who wants to start this conversation. What your feelings are? What your thoughts are? It's just it's just another classic uh classic example of racism in this country and it like we gotta keep addressing it and Doug, you you always say it a lot. It just can't be people of color, you know, pushing this work. Right. Like like I'm looking I'm looking at this story. This happened on February twenty third, and I know that with social distancing and everything, um people really couldn't get out in the streets and protest. But for everything, we that, February 24th. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And here it is. He just got, they just got arrested last week. And then you had two DAs that, that, um, recused themselves. And one, this is the thing that got me. I, and I had to write this down. I had to, I had to write this down because I wanted to bring this tonight. The one DA, um, the second one that stepped down, I guess apparently, um, his son and, the dad that was involved, uh, the Gregory McMichael, the dad that was involved with the with the with the shooting, um, I guess they worked together at a court system, and I guess they were involved with the handling of a case um, that dealt with Ahmad like some years ago, and really? he, yeah, and the thing is, he stepped down. Um, and recuse himself. But then why he did it, he actually um, gave like five reasons why he thinks that the McMichaels actually um, have a solid defense. And like, I'm not going to go through what five it was, but just the thing that he would say that and then give reasons for probable cause of what they did. And then going into sight and the, um, Georgia citizen arrest law for, um, you know, the, the workings of it. And right. I think that's where in education, if I was a school leader or a teacher in Glen County down there in Georgia, where it happened, mm-hmm. I would be, I would be very hesitant to be having them conversations with students because that district um, where this happened, um, it looks like it's about, um, like 47% white, 37% black. So it's a nice population of black students in that district. And that's going to be a topic of discussion in those schools when them kids return, because by that, by the time this schools return, it's going to be in the heat of the case and that situation. And well, that community is going to be split. Yes. Up to that, you know, yes. unfortunately. So this kids are going to have to deal with the nonsense of the adults too. That, that's the that's the point because you know you're going to have some some educators talking slick and using the terminology of the citizens arrest law about a private person may arrest an offender if the offense is committed in his presence or within his immediate knowledge. But even when you look at that, it wasn't even. You can't like, even look at that. When I was growing up, I thought that was fake. 
And I was yeah. going on, I was like, I'm a citizen's arrest you. I was like, this is fake. There's no such I, thing as a citizen's arrest. I did too. I, I did too. Because black folks ain't doing no citizen arrest. Like, we're no, like, that, that ain't got no, like, we, we ain't got them doing that. And then the, the part that I, look, see, I'm getting going now. The part citizen's that I'm. arrest is systemic racism. It's just called something different. And Doug, here, here's the part that a lot of people don't know. They said that the reason, like, he fit the description of a suspect for a rash of burglaries in the area. Now, this happened on February 23rd. From January 1st until February 23rd, in that area, it was only one reported burglary. And that burglary was like from the a truck that was parked outside of the McMichael's house where a gun was stolen from an unlocked truck. Like, come, like come it's on, always a burglary. It's always a burglary or it's, oh, he had, he, he was, he had a threat of carrying a gun. Like it's one of the two. Right, it's always one of those two. It, 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 he probably it, came up with a burglary defense because he wasn't armed, right? Or he didn't have it. He was running. He was jogging. You know what I mean? But I mean, whatever. Like, he didn't have a cell phone that someone thought was a gun. Like so, that's why they came up with that defense. But they always pick one or the other. It's always there's been some burglaries in the area, or yep. already had a gun on him. It's well, always, so. This is what this is what kills me about, about this as well. Is it's you know so. So you're you're going to quote unquote do a citizen's arrest over what like what what did he have like he didn't he didn't pull a weapon out of anything he was jogging you know he was he was out there jogging because I mean you you can really appropriately carry a weapon in your you know Adidas shorts as you're jogging you know so so let's throw that out the window secondly like what what would this have been about like. He took he took a man's life over. Well, there had been a string of burglaries. What was he stealing? And if he was yeah. really worried, why not call nine one one? Let's exactly. come out. I'm yeah. following it, someone. I think it stole was not, Whatever. It was not his position to be judge and executioner over another man's life, and it's you. It, it's for you to be able to confront somebody else, and then you know, it's like I've heard this. You know, well. Um, you know, and of course it's always, it's always white people that say stuff like this, but it's, it was something to the effect of, well, he thought he was, he thought that he was, um, he was reaching for a weapon and I'm like, so I'm imagining this. So I'm out there going for a jog, which by the way, will never happen because if I'm ever running, it's because something (laughs) is facing me. Um, so I'm like, so I'm out there for a jog and somebody I don't know confronts me and they have a gun in their hand i can either stand there and let the person shoot me or fight for my life yeah you're probably what scared what am i gonna do no. you know i'm probably mm-hmm. gonna fight for my life because i have a better chance of surviving that way yep. um and it's like especially, so, when he's like especially when they're like following him and then he's standing i mean he runs around the truck and the guy's probably standing there with a shotgun he's probably startled yeah i wouldn't even know what i would do i would totally try to attack the guy well, and it's like, and you're, so basically you're around, you are, you are a, a black man surrounded by three white men and one of them has a gun. Like, what are you supposed to do? You now, know, here, it just, it's infuriating. No, here's the equity issue I want to bring up about this. Um, when I was, when I was reading up a little bit about this, uh, this case. Now this happened in um, Satilla Shores, which is like neighboring of Brunswick, uh, Georgia. So, and and it's in Glen County. So, a Glen County commissioner from District Five, a black guy by the name of Alan Booker, 
said that he's been working with local clergy in recent years to improve the black community's relationship with the police. And this is what he said. He said, the black community has always had issues with law enforcement here. And then he was like, he never thought that it would lead to a killing. But then, on, then now check this out. On the flip side, you have a white commissioner by the name of Johnny Casson, who's a city commissioner in a neighboring, a bordering town of Brunswick. So like hit where he's a, where he's a commissioner at, they really have no jurisdiction over Satilia Shores, but the two communities kind of have like um, close ties. Now, this is what he says. He says it was emphatically wrong with what, with them doing that. But then this is the part that gets me is he said something totally different from what the black commissioner said. He said that um, he said in an interview that um, racism and racial profiling. Can you hear me? Oh. Can you, can you oh. hear me? Yeah. Hold on. Can you, can you okay. for a second. We lost okay. you for about 10 seconds. Okay. So, so well, go back about 10 seconds and then. And then okay. Different. Com- you, we, we lost you a different commissioner. Okay. Yeah. So this different the commissioner. commissioner versus the black commissioner. Yeah. The, the white commissioner said in an interview, like that his, his jurisdiction doesn't have any, he doesn't have any jurisdiction over Satilia Shores where this happened at, but the community he does have jurisdiction over with and Satilia Shores are neighbors and they do have close ties. But he said that it was emphatically it was wrong it was it was wrong for them to do that. But then he said he insisted that racism and racial profiling were not common in the southern Georgia communities. Hold on, wait a minute. You're a white guy saying this, and it's black commissioner. So that's an equity issue with itself because y'all got two totally different perspectives. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Of course. And I mean, and there, there should only be one person speaking about the racial issues. Like, it's not the white person's job to say there are racial issues or not. It's the people of color's job to say there's racial issues or not. And if they say there's racial issues, then there are. And we need to try to fix it. Like, it's not up to me to say my school is not racial. Oh, no, there's no racial issues. It's not my position to say that. Because it would just it, it just comes off wrong, and it's just not the way that you do it. I mean, you, you ask people of color, are there racial issues around here? Are there? You ask women, are there feminist issues around here? You know what I mean? You know, you ask men, are there? Are there is there a lot of toxic masculinity around here? Well, I can answer that question, right? Out of all of those, but I can't answer the question, are there race issues here? Because I don't I don't see them, yeah. right? So to me, there's never going to be a race issue. That's why we need to ask people of color those questions. That's why that's a ridiculous statement by that commissioner or whatever. It's, Whatever's and, and not to switch gears, you brought up a, you brought up an excellent point about even with um, issues with um, you know females. These these are the reasons why the NFL and some of these other places that that had issues for so long because you've always basically dealt with a white male perspective and you never even brought any females from any race to the conversation to see how yeah. they felt about it. Right. Yeah, because we're fragile. It all comes back to that. White men are just bad. But I'm telling you, when I read that book, when I read that book, it connected all of those dots. I'm like, why am I the one determining what the race issues are? I'm like, I have no authority. I have no life experiences. I can read a million things about what it means to be equitable and understanding and empathetic and all that stuff. But if I've never lived it a day in my life, I cannot rule or judge or say that it's this or that i can just say you tell me and if it's not working like 
I maybe can come up with a plan to help fix it, mm-hmm. but I can't tell you if it is or it isn't. And I think that's something that white people need to recognize. Yeah, because when I when I read that, I'm like, what was the even point of even having that? Even him even going into that? Huh. I'm stupid. I'm just stupid. I don't know. I don't know if I have the energy to contact or uh, go after these last two questions. Is there anything else on these on this? We're at about, no. we're at about oh. forty minutes, and, I, and I'm trying to be mindful of people's time that that yeah. aren't listening. Um, yeah, I, I think talk that, about that other thing for a while. Yeah, I think that la- I think those last two questions probably could come in. Uh, the next podcast because they uh they could have us going for a while too. Yeah, I'm looking. I'm looking at that first one. I'm me and Doug alone will get going, and then when Dina brings it all together with the way, with the nice way she does it, like well, we'll leave the people with a teaser that that hopefully we'll have some good questions for them. I'm actually going to take these right now and put them in our notes so I don't lose them. Look, I just um, wrote them. I'm writing them down now too. Yeah, go for it. All right, Dina, you got any final thoughts or anything about anything? I mean, I, don't, I think we all came to the realization when we started talking about Ahmad. It was like, it's just disgusting. And I don't know what else. I mean, it was almost like, yeah. I mean, I think we had a nice discussion about it, but it's, it's it, to me, it was just like one more shot to the, and I'm not even black. And it was one more shot to the gut. Like, are you fucking kidding me? I, I, I do want to add one thing um, because this the, I brought this up and I had an interesting, you know, uh, Facebook discussion with a friend of mine about this. Um, but I had, I had cautioned people about sharing the video. Um, mm. And the point that I made with that is for, for people of color who have had experiences where they have been, you know, confronted very violently by people who are white. Mm. Um, you have to be very careful with sharing those things because they can be very triggering for people. And, um, you know, and, and somebody had pushed back and said, you know, well, his family was the one that shared this and gave permission to do this. And, you know, and, and, you know, it ended up that something happening, thankfully from all of that. And I said, I completely respect this family's reason for doing this and the, the need for them to get justice for their child. Because if this were my child, I don't know if there is any end to the earth of where I would go to get justice for my mm-hmm. own child. Um, but having said that people just need to be mindful that for people who have been confronted violently or been in situations that are very similar or know somebody who has been in a similar situation, it's traumatic. And that can be very triggering. Seeing those kinds of things can be triggering. So I just caution people to be mindful about that when they are sharing those things out, because, you know, the last thing we need to do is to, to hurt people who have already further been hurt. Um, so just to be, to be mindful of that. No, you, you're right about that. Cause I watched that video one time and one time only, that's all I need to see. Like that, right. there was no need for me to keep watching that or resharing it. Like that's a video that after you see it one time, you don't have to really, like if somebody tags you on that Facebook, you don't have to keep sharing it a million times. Like it's saying it one time is all I need to see. And I don't know that, and there are people who will tag other people in things and it's like, and I don't know, you know, if you, if you felt so compelled to share that video, I don't know that you need to tag black people in that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, aren't, aren't black people struggling enough with, with what they're dealing with? Do they need to be tagged in a video where somebody is very violently, you know, attacked and killed? Um, I'll tell you, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I I don't, I I think people just need to be mindful about how they share out things like that over social media. Yeah. I mean, I was watching ABC nightly news and I don't usually watch that, the national coverage and, and they, they, 
they showed the video maybe four or five times and they even did the white person like let's analyze what happened when the two of them went off the screen like let's replay it and bring it back like what happened when they went off screen hmm i wonder like it doesn't matter like the first time you saw it it was pretty clear about what you saw if you're looking at it more than once you're just trying to become devil's advocate or try to find some excuse of why someone got murdered and and you know in cold blood for no apparent reason other than those white people are racist and, and they have issues. I mean, so I'm with you guys. I, I was kind of like, I was waiting because they, they brought the story up. I don't usually watch the news, but that was like, well, what's going to be the national ABC news take on this? And I'm like, damn, I mean, that's just one more example of like, why are you replaying this? It, and, giving it, comment, it, and giving commentary. Like it's yeah. not, there's no question about what happened here. <laughs> yeah. It's, and it got me, it got me thinking about Emmett Till, um, you know, with his, with his mother's decision to, have his, have an open casket funeral for him and allow the press to take pictures because she needed for people to see what those men did to her child. Yeah. Um, and I get like, and I, and I get that. Um, and like I said, you know, in, in terms of my response to my friend, um, I understand and respect the family's reasoning behind doing it. And I know that they probably were were desperate and there was no other way to get justice, um, done. And there, and I'm, I am cautiously optimistic with what's happening right now because we've seen in so many instances before this of, you know, people getting away with murdering, you know, our, our people of color. And mm-hmm. I just am, you know, I, I am cautiously optimistic. I, I think we're headed in the right direction. Um, but I just, I, I like, I know how harmful seeing that, over and over and over again can be for people. Um, so that's my big thing is I just need for people to keep that in mind. Yeah. All right. You got anything more, Gerard? Nah, that sums it up right there. All right, then. Let's end this episode. Good job, guys. All right. This is Speaking Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard. Where I'm coming from. 15 years into education now. You know, what can I do? This question for those students um, that look like me and that came from uh, my community. I wanted to be an influencer for them, white, for young people. Connect with more people whose mindset and goals. All right, this is Speaking Educationally with uh, Doug, Dina, and Gerard.